If you really wanted to explain to someone that you loved them and you wanted to tell them how much you loved them, how would you do that? We're going to take a little poll and you're going to have some options. And these are your options. How many of you would uh, buy space on a billboard to tell them that? How many of you would send a video to express your love? How many of you would hire a flower service to deliver some flowers with that message? How many would send somebody else to go and tell them? Number five, the final choice, how many of you would go and tell them yourself? All right, number one, who would be willing to rent space on a billboard? Anybody? Kind of creative way. I've seen that done, haven't you? Will you marry me? It says there along the highway. Uh, who would be willing to send a video? Any takers on that one? That's kind of popular. Most people have video cameras. Well, what about uh, sending flowers? It's a nice thing to do, nice touch. There's a romantic over here. There's another one and another one. Uh, who would send an emissary? You would send somebody else to go and tell them. That's the way I feel about it, too. Who would go yourself? You say, I want to take that message myself. Hey, that's good. Very good. You know what? That's exactly what God did. That's exactly what God did. He chose to come himself to tell us how much he loves us. And he chose to do it in a wonderful way. Not by appearing in some manner that would frighten us or confuse us or overwhelm us. But he chose to do it by becoming one of us. The phenomenon that we call the incarnation is filled with awe-inspiring wonder. And it rightly produces a reverence for God in our lives when we begin to grasp what it means. Open your Bible with me to John chapter 1 as we think about the glory of Christmas and this morning the glory of Christ's incarnation. John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Consider with me this morning three wonders of the Incarnation which disclose to us the glories of Christ, the wonder of its mystery, the wonder of its design, and the wonder of its disclosure. First, the wonder of its mystery. John chapter 1 verse 14 gives us the essence of it. And what a mystery this is when it says the Word, the Logos, became flesh, became incarnate. This is absolutely unique in all of human history. There is nothing that approaches the substance of what we read in this verse except here. It is the claim that God literally, historically, and genuinely became a human being. When John writes this, it's not an accident. He's writing by the inspiration of the Spirit. And as he writes it, he is addressing one of the false teachings that was prominent at the end of the first century. It was called Gnosticism. 
And among their many different weird ideas, they had the idea that all, all matter, material things, are evil. Spirit is good, matter is evil. That was the teaching of the Gnostics. And so God, who is spirit and therefore good, could not become human because to become human was to become evil. They denied that Jesus was genuinely human. John addresses this in beginning his gospel. But I want you to look back at his first epistle toward the end of the New Testament because as John writes this brief book, he addresses it even more forthrightly. Chapter 1 of 1 John, beginning with verse 1. Now remember, the Gnostics teach that anything material is evil. Therefore, Jesus Christ could not have been a real human being. He appeared human, but he wasn't truly human. Notice how John confronts this. That which was from the beginning. Have we ever seen that before? That's how he starts the gospel, isn't it? In the beginning was the word. Now he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. Was Jesus a phantom? Did he only appear to be human? John says, with all of the senses that we have in our human bodies, we give witness that Jesus Christ, who was from the beginning deity, that is, the pre-existent Christ, was literally human. This we proclaim to you concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. See, John is emphasizing that with all of the senses of being a human, they perceive that Jesus was just like them. And so again in chapter 4 of this epistle, he says this, beginning in verse 2, This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God, says John. That is, the Spirit of God speaking through someone. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, that he's human, is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. So John says to deny that Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh, in true humanity, is to join with the spirit of Antichrist. The wonder of this mystery, that Christ as the Word of God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. I want you to notice in the Gospel of John, the first chapter, that he puts it in verse 14 that the Word became flesh. Notice the contrast with verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. Not became the Word. Was the Word. The Word already was when 
the universe was brought into being. But now he says at a point in history, that same word that always had been became. He became flesh. As Galatians 4, 4 says, the son was born of a woman. This was in fulfillment of what Isaiah the prophet had foretold. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son. The ovum of Mary was united with its 23 chromosomes to 23 chromosomes that were male created by God, united within her womb in the conception. So that Jesus Christ is the virgin born. Word become flesh. The mystery of that. Dr. Arthur Pink says, He became what he was not previously, never ceasing to be all that he was before. In contrast to his prior appearances in human history, when he temporarily assumed the form of man, but was not genuinely human, now the Son of God becomes human. This is not a theophany, an appearance of God, as when he appeared in the Old Testament, such as to Abraham in Genesis. But now he becomes human himself. What is the mystery of this? Well, beyond the biological aspect of it and how that could be, we have the theological aspect. How deity could be joined to humanity. In church history, as theologians have tried to explain this, some false ideas have arisen. And again and again, the church has risen up to answer those. But the truth about it can be found in a very simple phrase, an expression. And that expression is, it was accomplished, the mystery of this union between God and man was accomplished by what is called the hypostatic union. You say, well, let the theologians have that one. Well, they will. But it's a good one for you to write down on the margin of your Bible beside verse 14. Hypostatic. That's a combination of two Greek words that means, uh, when they're put together, mean to stand under something. When it's used as an adjective, such as hypostatic union, it means that what we're talking about here is the foundational union between God and man. And here's how it is described in one theological dictionary. It says it is a theological expression that refers to the dual nature of Christ. God the Son took to himself a human nature, and he remains forever true God and true man, two natures in one person forever. The two natures remain distinct without intermingling, but they nevertheless compose one person, Christ, the God-man. Now, to some people, that is just theology that blows over the head. Let me tell you that that is theology that every Christian ought to be able to express in his own words. 
because what we are talking about is an absolutely essential doctrine of the Christian faith. And through this foundational union, the hypostatic union between God and man, the Word became flesh. John Walvoord, former president of Dallas Seminary, said, Though Christ sometimes operated in the sphere of his humanity, and in other cases in the sphere of his deity, in all cases what he did and what he was could be attributed to one person. Even though it is evident that there were two natures in Christ, he is never considered a dual personality. You and I have one nature, human nature. Jesus Christ had two natures. He was God, undiminished. He was man, without sin. United in one person. And so we see sometimes him acting out of his humanity. As when on the cross he said, I thirst. But on the same cross we see him acting out his deity when he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Or we see him coming to that well in Samaria. And it says that he sat down there being tired. There's his humanity. But a few moments later as God, he was telling this woman who came out of the city of Sychar all about herself. We see Jesus asleep in the boat. He was weary from the pressure of all of the people who had been around him. And there on the Sea of Galilee, in the midst of the storm, he is sleeping because he is man. He grew weary. But being awakened as God, he stills the storm. Peace, be still. And so in this one unique person, there, is, there are two natures. Deity and humanity. Isn't that a wonder? The wonder of the mystery of the incarnation. You say, well, why is this so important? In order to be the mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ had to fully and perfectly represent both God and man. And so, being God and man united forever, he is today the one and only mediator between God and man. <clears throat> Mary does not qualify. The saints do not qualify. There is no mediator but Jesus Christ between God and man because he is God and he is human. The mystery, the wonder of the mystery... Consider with me, secondly, the wonder of its design. Again, in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, it says, John testifies concerning him. Now, this is not the Apostle John. This is John the Baptist. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. What is John expressing here? the pre-existence of Christ that we studied last week. You see, John was six months older than Jesus. 
John had been in Elizabeth's womb six months when Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit in Mary. He was born six months before John. But John says here, He was before me. And therefore he has surpassed me, though he comes after me. From the, full, from the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Here we have the wonder of the design of the incarnation. What's it all about? Well, the Word came to disclose God to humanity. George Eliot, whose pen was a pen name for Mary Ann Evans, she wrote these words. Sometimes words are made flesh. They breathe upon us with warm breath. They touch us with soft, responsive hands. They look at us with sad, sincere eyes, and they speak to us in appealing tones. They are clothed in a human soul. Will you take those words written by George Eliot and apply them in a unique way to Jesus Christ? He is the Word, the very thought of God. He is God telling us how much He loves us. He is the expression of all that God is in the warmth of human flesh and human eyes and human words. That's the wonder of the design. God is invisible. The essence of God has never been seen by any man, for man cannot look upon God and live. The essence of his glory is so extraordinary and so magnificent that for man to look upon it would destroy him. Even the Old Testament appearances of God were veiled appearances of his glory. The glories of the invisible perfections of God, however, have now been made visible this time in human flesh, in Jesus Christ, so that we can see the glory of God without being destroyed. We see it in Him. This verse says that He has exegeted God. He has made Him known. This same word is used in the book of Acts. For example, when... Paul and Barnabas were at the, the council in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15. It says that they stood before these other believers and they narrated the events of the first missionary journey. They laid them out in order. They narrated them. Same word is here. Jesus Christ has laid God out for us so that we can understand God. We can see God and hear Him in the warmth of human flesh. Jesus tells us the story of God's true nature through his words and works and life. 
Why did he tell us this? Well, it's more than for information. Jesus didn't simply give us this information so that there could someday be theological seminaries to dissect God. He gave us this information so that we might be redeemed. So that understanding God's love, we might believe on the Son and be saved. Turn over a page or two in your Bible to John 3. You know well verse 16. Let's go on to verse 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Here we have the wonder of the design of the Incarnation. It was so that we might know God's expression of love toward us. And having come to understand that, that we might believe on Him for the salvation of our souls. And so we have the wonder of the mystery of the Incarnation. The Word becoming flesh and the wonder of its design that God might tell us the message of his heart that he wants us to be saved. Thirdly, we have the wonder of its disclosure. Because you see, what was initially hidden in that baby born in a manger was eventually disclosed, little by little. You see, when the shepherds came to the manger that night in Bethlehem, they did not see a baby there with a halo around its head like is depicted in, in so many pictures and artist concepts of the evening. When they looked at the baby, they saw a baby. Now they knew who he was because the angels have said, He is Christ the Lord. But there was nothing physically about him that would have said, He's something other than human. And the same is true all the way through his growing up years. But it came to pass that he began his ministry at a wedding feast in Cana. And only John tells us about this occasion. He says the word became flesh and he lived among us. And we beheld his glory. Now look in John chapter 2 for a moment. We won't have time to read about him changing the water into wine on this occasion. But that's what he did. And in verse 11, John puts this comment with it. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee. He thus revealed his glory. And his disciples put their faith in him. Jesus now begins to draw back the curtain just a little bit so that his glory can be seen in what he's going to do. And now John begins to unfold through carefully selected teachings and miracles that he draws from the life of Jesus. He unfolds the glory of Jesus and all the witness to who he was. And the glory gets brighter and brighter and more apparent and more visible. 
until we come to John chapter 11 and the climax of his miracles. It is the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Look in verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb of Lazarus. By the way, as man, he wept here. Now, as God, he is going to raise the dead. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been there four days. And Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked up, and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And he said, when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Here we come to the climax of his miracles. As he presents himself as the word come in the flesh. We've seen his glory, says John. And here is the climax of that glory being revealed. And what is the result? Verse 45 says, Many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and who had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And so they called for a meeting. And what a meeting it was as they began now to plot the death of Jesus. You see, they rejected his glory. It was through that rejection, his suffering on the cross, his death, and then his own resurrection from the dead, that his glory was fully demonstrated. He is declared to be the Son of God with power by his resurrection from the dead. John says, we have seen his glory. The wonder of its disclosure. For years, it was kept veiled as Jesus grew to manhood. And then, little by little, and increasingly more, that glory was revealed until in the end, he stands as the resurrected Son of God, the Word become flesh, here to redeem the world. The incarnation was intended finally to reveal Christ's glory through the cross. What an unusual means of disclosure that through this instrument of suffering, his glory might be fully known. The incarnation veiled his glory in sinless humanity so that eventually he could fully reveal his glory through his glorified humanness. And he stands today at the Father's right hand. 
He stands there absolutely unique in all of the universe. There is no one like him. He is there as the God-man. He is glorified man. Standing before God. And he is there as the first fruits. Which means he stands there representing all of those who believe on him. Guaranteeing that one day all of those who believe on him will be with him glorified also in heaven. To me, this ought to create reverence in our hearts for God. It ought to require of us an attitude of trust, surrender, and devotion. It seems to me that once we grasp the incarnation in its mystery, in its design, and its disclosure, and the wonder of it all, that we can never be quite the same again, understanding what God has done. He came that he might tell you that he loves you. Back in 1879 at Christmas time, a reporter for a Boston newspaper was walking along the street and he saw three little girls standing in front of a store window that was full of toys. One of them was sightless. And her two friends, one standing on each side of her, were trying to explain to her what the toys looked like. Well, this man had never thought before how difficult it would be to try to understand what something looks like that you've never been able to see. And so the incident caused him to write an article that became rather famous in that day in the newspaper. Well, this reporter was an agnostic, but was assigned a few weeks later to go to a meeting being held by Dwight L. Moody. His purpose in going was to hear the evangelist and to find some inconsistency in his message that he might exploit. What surprise it was to him when he heard Moody refer to a newspaper account of three children. To illustrate a spiritual truth, Moody said, in concluding the illustration, just as the blind girl couldn't visualize the toys, so an unsaved person cannot see Christ in all his glory. The man who had written that very newspaper story, who had come to that meeting, a skeptic and an agnostic, suddenly realized that he was like that, that he was blind to the glory of God. And God, in that simple way, opened his heart, and he received Jesus Christ as his Savior. You cannot see the glory of the Incarnation until you know Christ. Would God open your heart today to see it, to believe on Him so that you can see it and understand the wonder of it all? Let's pray. With our heads bowed and our hearts in quiet reverence before God. Have you trusted the Savior, my friend? Oh, what God has done to tell you that He loves you. He sent His own Son into the world 
becoming flesh like us, to go to the cross and die and suffer for our sins, be raised from the dead so that we might be saved from death and sin and and see and experience the glory of God. He did that for you. Will you give him your heart today? Will you open your heart and receive him as your own Lord and Savior? As an act of faith, believing him? I hope you will right now. Take this moment to do that. Lord Jesus, I receive you. I understand who you are and what you did for me. Come into my life. Save me. And show me the glory of God. And oh, those of us who've done that, some of us many years ago, that the incarnation might be fresh this Christmas. That the wonder of it all may touch our hearts anew. Lord, work in us that it may be so. That we, having understood something of the glory of Christ's incarnation, may not go away the same people as we came in. Amen.